Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ and never view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world, where God's truth supersedes the foolish ideas of man, where religion, politics, cultural ethics, and the issues of today are discussed, because that is where we live, where truth and honesty are not subjective, and God's word is the final arbiter. My twofold mission is to present an unapologetic witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to expose the mental chains imprisoning far too many black Americans by the Democrat Party. Good evening, good evening. This is Sam Tolley, Trusting the Truth. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of the truth about Sam Tolley this evening. Uh, today's show is called From Repentance to Red Pill of Why I Left the Democrat Party 35 Years Ago. And as I pondered this situation, I'm going to owe some of my Democrat friends an apology as I go through it. And you'll know why later on. And I also think it was probably 36 years ago that I left the Democrat Party. But nevertheless, I left the Democrat Party. But when we get into repentance, I have to go back to when I was a child. Uh, probably when I was around 12 years old, 11 or 12 is when I made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember going to a little um, holiness church in Pasadena, California. I think it was called Bethlehem on the corner of Howard and Pharaohs. And I was really excited about um, learning about God. But, you know, I go back further when I was a little kid. I went to a Holiness Church on Pepper and Sunset. Golly, I can't think of the name of that church right now. <clears throat> but that's when I was a little kid, and I was way too young. Oh, that was called Christ Temple. That's correct, Christ Temple. But I was way too young to understand anything then. And since I didn't understand anything then, I, I just remember people jumping and shouting, uh, sometimes dancing in the aisles. Sometimes that was a little scary for a little kid. But, you know, and I have Sunday school class. And I remember the little cars they used to give us in Sunday school back in the day. And they would give us little Bible lessons. And at my age, I think I was more interested in the treats that we would get after Sunday school instead of Sunday school. But I'm sure some of my friends remember it, and maybe they were a little bit more biblically astute. Because I really didn't have any parental guidance as far as the Bible. I mean, Mama took us to Sunday school in church <clears throat> when we were real young, and the old man wasn't around. So years later, uh, like I said, when I was on 11 or 12, uh, there was a church, which I already mentioned on Howard and Pharaoh's, 
And I don't know who invited us or whatever, but I think my older sister and I went a few times. And I remember distinctly, that's when I gave my life to the Lord. And I remember that's where I got baptized. For some reason, even after all these years, I can remember that deep blue water. Or maybe now that I'm older, I know how things work. Maybe it was a, a deep blue pool in which the water was in. But nevertheless, I had a Sunday school teacher that wanted to win the offering banner every week. And she uh, told the class to bring in 15 cents a week. Now, I was a poor kid. I mean, one of those folks that say P-O-R, Poe, maybe I didn't even have the R. But nevertheless, I was poor. And 15 cents was a lot of money for me back in those days. And I sort of resented the fact that that's what she wanted. I don't know if I missed a Sunday or two, but I know down the line I decided, you know what, I'm gonna, whatever I gotta do, I'm gonna make sure I have this 15 cents to take to Sunday school. So, one Sunday I was getting ready to go to church and I had <clears throat> my 15 cents. And I took my 15 cent to Sunday school. <laughs> and when the offering time came up, she said, we changed it to 25 cent to a quarter. Now, I don't know my inner rebellious nature or whatever it was. But when she said 25 cents after I made sure I had 15, I didn't go back. I was gone. Like I said, I didn't have parental guidance. So when I went, it was like my sister and I, or either I went by myself. So I was done. And I think I was probably done with church for about the next 20 years or so. Uh, because I resented the fact this woman wanted me to come up with a quarter when I struggled to get 15 cents. I don't, you know, I don't hold it against her anymore. I used to hold it against her for a long time. But, at any rate, that was my childhood. I went on and lived my life uh, growing up. And as I grew up, I took for granted that black people were Democrats. Let me get my seat together here. I took for granted that we were Democrats because that's all I knew. I remember people had a house, well, people had a house. I remember visiting various houses where you would see a, a portrait. Well, it was a, it was a compilation, it really wasn't a portrait, but a compilation of three pictures. You'd have John F. Kennedy, Margaret the King, and Robert F. Kennedy. And I had no idea about the dynamics of politics. All I knew was, here these three men are in a black people's home or black was home, and it was something special about all of them. Well, as I was growing up, I became a real history buff. I loved watching programs about history. And when I was in the sixth grade, I remember I was in a, we had a Spanish class. And on the Spanish class, I mean, you know, it was, you know this sixth grade, we're all in the same classroom, but they brought out this big old TV and rolled it out on wheels and a Spanish teacher would teach the class every day. 
I think it was like around 11 o'clock or something. But there was a newsflash interruption, special report. And then they was talking about Kennedy got shot. Well, the teacher, Mrs. Cottrell, I believe was her name, she got emotional. And the next thing I knew after a while, they let us out of school. Now, as a little kid, that was a highlight. They let us out of school, let us go home. But then when I went home, um, and Mama was upset and crying and carrying on, and, and come to find out that the president was killed. Well, back in those days, uh, television didn't stay on 24 hours a day. It's, it's not like it was, and we had I was in Southern California, so we had more than three channels. I found out when I visited relatives in Louisiana and places like that, that many of them just had broadcast TV. You only had three channels. We had channel two, four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. So we had seven. <clears throat> but TV always went off probably about one or two o'clock in the morning. And all you would get is static or a test pattern or something. But the television itself, it, it would stop. But when Kennedy got killed, the television didn't go off. And I found myself as a little kid watching all this stuff. I mean, in the middle of the night, I'm watching television, reruns of whatever they would show us about the assassination. And then I guess a day or two later, Oswald got assassinated and I had Who's Oswald? I know this guy is supposed to be killed the president. So I'm watching all this stuff, and, and I became intrigued with history, and it gave me a, a slight window into politics. So, you know, I didn't think much of the deeper aspects of it, you know, the grassy knoll and whether there was more than one assassin and all that kind of stuff. And I was just a little kid. I'm just watching the fact that TV never went off, the president died, and I'm supposed to be a Democrat. And as I go along in life, it wasn't that I was being told at home that I was a Democrat. It wasn't that I was around a lot of black folks and they told us that we were Democrats. It was just embedded in our life for some reason that you're black, you're a Democrat. So it, there wasn't a big discussion about it. It was what it was. And I accepted it for what it was. But then I started noticing that there were subtle things. I don't remember if it was in school. Well, I remember in school history, the only thing they taught black folks about black history um, that I can recall before there was a big change was that George Washington Carver uh, made a lot of stuff from the peanuts and Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. That was about it. And as I kept living and partying and chasing women or whatever I was doing, whatever aspect of my life, I just went along with the cursory understanding that I'm black and I'm a Democrat because all black people are Democrats as far as I knew. As life moved on, as I moved on with life, I started thinking about things. I, I had this, this problem 
that I've always believed God, but I knew that I wasn't serving him. And that bothered me. It, it, it bothered me in my 20s. And in my naive mind, I said, okay, Lord, I tell you what, by the time I'm in my 30s, I'm going to start serving you. And I look back at that now, and I say, boy, it was only his grace and mercy that kept me during my foolishness while I put him on hold and just lived my life of doing whatever. Fortunately, I wasn't a gangbanger or a robber or a thief, and I didn't get into those kind of problems. I was just your typical guy that went about his business, going to work when he had a job, chasing women, smoking weed, drinking, and indulging in all kinds of stuff like that to satisfy my flesh. But it was always in the back of my head that, you know, I guess, you know, sooner or later there's a reckoning. I need to get my life together with the Lord. Well, in my, I think it was early 30s, I, you know, I had a couple of children and I had a stepson. And my wife at the time, um, we, we sent the boys to Texas for the summer. And they went to Texas and they stayed with uh, her grandmother and grandfather. And those folks in the South, and back in those days, they went to church almost every day. So, you know, when the kids were gone, you know, we did whatever we were doing or whatever. But when the kids came back, they told me they wanted to go to church. Now, for some naive, stupid reason, I didn't have a problem with me not going to church. Yeah, I thought I could swing a deal with God and just, you know, God, you know, we're going to deal with it later on. But when those kids talked about going to church, that put fear in my heart. I put fear in my heart for several reasons. Number one, I didn't feel as though I had any power to deny them the opportunity to worship God if that's what they want to do. And number two, I knew I had enough sense to realize that I couldn't just send them anywhere, that I was responsible for where they went. So that, that gave me lots of trepidation. Now, it took time before I decided to do anything. But I eventually started thinking. Now, I started thinking, okay, who are the most religious people that I know, relatives and family-wise? And so then I thought about this cousin I had named Nancy. Okay, she's a real religious person. She, she loves the Lord a lot. And so she's invited me to her church many times. So I, th I said, I think I'll go. And, and I didn't necessarily want to bring the kids with me until I checked these places out. So her church, I wouldn't really want to call it a church now, is the Kingdom Hall. She was a Jehovah Witness. So I went with her. I, I, I decided to visit it. I didn't know anything about the Watchtower, Jehovah Witnesses, or any of that stuff. All I knew is that 
long as I knew her from what I can remember, she always wanted to serve God. So I went to it, and it was dead. I mean, I, I can't give it any other word. I mean, the singing, the atmosphere, the whole thing, it just seemed dead. Um, I, I Now, I didn't know anything about them theologically at that point. You know, I didn't know that they thought that uh, Jesus was the first creator, creation of Jehovah and that he created everything else. You know, I, I, actually, theologically, I didn't know much about anything about anything. But I knew that I had to start trying to serve God. So that one was out. I had a friend that went to some church, the science of the mind or something. And I didn't know what that was, but I said, okay, let me go visit that. And it wasn't really a Christian science church. It was some kind of offshoot or something. I haven't the foggiest idea what he talked about. I don't remember. That was a long time ago. But I remember she she brought me to a, 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 a some kind of meeting room where they were and showed me some weird picture on the wall. And and when I saw this picture, I said, well, this thing looks demonic. I don't know much about uh, demons and stuff. But I said, it's, this picture looked demonic. So that was out. I, I, I was done with that. And I'm going to be going back and forth. My timelines, forget it. Don't even worry about trying to hold me to them because I can't even understand them myself. But as the years went by and I started trying to get more serious about the Lord, I remember in the 70s, um, I voted for Jimmy Carter. Now, at this point, this was before I really started trying to get in to going to church. But I remember, I remember they said, well, he was a Baptist preacher. And I'm thinking, okay, he's a Baptist and he's a Democrat. And that's good. He, you know, he, he loves the Lord. So even though I wasn't trying to live in a godly room there, I said, this man is trying to serve God. So, so I think it's a good pick. So I voted for him. I don't know if Jimmy Carter was the first person I really voted for or not. But anyway, I voted for him. And this is where I have to apologize to a lot of my Democrat friends. I remember in 1979 sitting in gas lines. Now, for a lot of you young folks who don't know any better, let me, let me tell you my experience in Pasadena, California. At that time, I had a 1969 Pontiac Bonneville. I mean, that was one long soup bowl. And if I remember, gas was running like 25 cents or 17 to 25 cents in those days. Before, Inflation just went crazy. When I looked it up today, in fact, the inflation rate in 1979 got up to 11.35%. So before that, you could spend like $2, put like at 17 cents a gallon, put enough gas and go to the beach. Uh, and they didn't charge you to park at the beach. You know, you just parked at the beach and went down there. Matter of fact, we used to go to places like there was a pup and tacos across the street from McDonald's. And at Pup and Tacos, you can get five chili dogs for a dollar or get a couple of chili, you know, hot dogs and 
fries and a drink at McDonald's. Those were the days, folks. Didn't take no money. And I, the last time I went to the beach in California, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it must have been about $18 to park. And that was one of the cheap parking lots at the beach. <laughs> so don't even ask me what a hot dog or chili dog costs. And pumpkin tacos long gone. And I quit going to McDonald's, so you folks who know about McDonald's, then you guys can deal with that. But nevertheless, the, the, we had this issue with the, Iran, the Iranian embassy. It's all coming back to me. And I remember, I don't know exactly what happened with the politics, but the embassy, oh, that's right. What happened was we supported the Shah of Iran. And the Iranians had revolution. This is when the revolution came in, and they kicked the Shah out. So when they kicked the Shah out, uh, Khomeini, Khomeini, some religious leader, I think that was his name, the Ayatollah Khomeini came in and took over control. And then either they quit selling us gas, oil, or we kept buying whatever it was, oil embargo, whatever the heck it was, oil became scarce in America. And that, and that fascinates me when I think about it right now, because we have more oil in America right now than probably anybody. Matter of fact, when, when Trump was president, we were oil dependent. We didn't need to import oil at all. Matter of fact, we were a net exporter of oil. But back then, we were getting all our oil from Iran and Iraq or whatever, and oil became scarce. So what they did was they instituted what they called odd-even days. And if your license plate ended on an odd number, you got gas on an odd day. And if it was on an even number, you got gas on an even day. And I remember I used to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, get out of my bed, jump in my Bonneville, and go sit in the gas line waiting on the gas station over. And I might just sleep in the car for an hour or two. And then that line starts inching through. And I don't know if, it, if, if I was able to fill up the car with $20 or they would only give you $20 worth of gas. But I remember when the gas, and check this out, it shot up to like 50 cents a gallon. It was that people would die for 50 cents a gallon these days. But it shot up to like 50 cents a gallon. It was, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. If, now, if you were paying 17 cents, or 20 cents, and it shot up to 50 cents. That's like it is now, where I was paying, when, when, when Trump was in office, I was paying $1.99 a gallon, and then it shot up to $4 and up after he was out and Biden took over and the inflation and all that, and Biden shut down the drilling. That's why we're having a gas problem right now. He shut down the drilling, he shut down the pipelines, he shut down. Uh, them building Keystone, they shut down them pumping oil out of Anwar. So, even going through all that, and then Ronald Reagan was running for president against him. Now, as a black Democrat who was not politically smart at all, what I did know was that Ronald Reagan was evil. He was a Republican. Republicans hated black people. Ronald Reagan was an evil Republican. And I'm supposed to totally dislike 
Kim and all Republicans. That I understood. So, even though I was going to the gas line on odd days, or even days, I have no idea what days it was, but sitting in line at 2 o'clock in the morning, trying to get some gas, I voted for Carter against Reagan. That's why I got to apologize to a lot of people that voted for Biden, that voted, uh, that keep voting against their interests, that voted for folks in these uh, midterms while the inflation is through the roof, voted to keep the uh, Democrats in charge of, of the Senate. That's, of course, a your particular vote counted, and there was no funny stuff going on in your particular state. I think there was a lot of funny stuff going on in Arizona. I, I come to find out that I think it was a woman that won the Treasury, who was a Republican, got 100,000 votes more than Carrie Lake, who's running for governor. And I don't know how that's possible, because on the ballot, you got like the senator, the governor, and going down the ballot. And what person in their right mind is going to vote for a treasury secretary that isn't going to vote for the governor for the same party. Fishy stuff, folks. I think it's really fishy stuff. So that's why, you know, I, like I said, I think that's fishy. But I understand why a lot of people still vote Democrat because for me, I found out that revisiting history, looking back, was a, was a process. It took time for me to move from A to B. It took time, even like I said, sitting in gas lines. I remember that was cold. You know, I mean, what was sitting on gas line? And, and today people can't even imagine that those that don't know it. But you guys, it was around when I was around in the gas lines. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That was not fun. So, I continued being a Democrat. Um, now, Ronald Reagan won the election. And I just went on about my business living how I was living. But I think after Reagan got in office, after a while, I started really getting serious thoughts about my relationship with God or the, or the lack thereof. Yes, I asked the Lord to be my Savior when I was a little kid. But I walked away. I backslid, as the word goes, for a long, long time ago. And I knew I needed to do something about it. But I had a major problem. And my problem was, and I think this is a problem many folks have, I assumed that if I fully gave myself to the Lord, I wouldn't have fun anymore. I thought that I would be bored. I thought that if I gave up smoking weed and drinking and um, when I was single, chasing women or whatever things, or doing all the different stuff that I thought was fun, I thought if I committed myself to God, I wasn't going to have any fun anymore. That's what I thought. And that bothered me. But it got to the point, it got to the point where I was convinced that I needed to serve God whether I had fun or not. It got to the point where 
I made up my mind that I wanted to serve him. Now, I also had my mind made up that I wasn't going to have fun anymore. But I didn't know how to get there. I, um, I remember once I was in my journey to get back to God. I, I got together with a couple of buddies and we were smoking weed and drinking and carrying on. And I started talking to them about some Bible stuff. And I realized halfway in that conversation that that was a major mistake. Because the alcohol and the marijuana, all I knew what I was thinking intellectually about the Bible. But I'm trying to talk to these folks about spiritual things and we're full of spirits. It didn't work. It was bad. So, I have to leave it alone. This is, like I said, this is in Reagan's term, probably even toward the middle part of this, or toward the end of this first term. Um, I'm thinking probably 85, so that would have been the start, that would have been in the second one, I believe. So anyway, I remember I got to the point where I said, Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to take the taste of all this stuff away from me. And, and it was funny because I remember I was walking to work one day because I only lived like 10 minutes away from my job at the time. And I was smoking a joint on my way to work. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm negotiating with God in my head. I'm negotiating. And in those days, I used to like to drink either Coke 45 or Slits in the Bottle. And then I think I really like Slits in the Bottle. And they, uh, they don't sell Slits in the Bottle anymore. They still sell Code 45. But I was thinking to myself, all right, Lord, which one of y'all I want you to take away? I want you to take away the slits in the bottle or the weed? You know, I couldn't make up my mind. So then I just said, okay, Lord, I don't want you to take it all away from me. Take the whole, just take the, all of it away from me. Now, he's, God is merciful. He's very merciful. He allowed me to keep walking and working, continue getting high. So I kept getting out with the work. I was high like I normally would do if I had some reefer. One evening, I don't even know the time differential between that prayer and what happened next. I just remember that I was sitting in my apartment with my buddy and my wife at the time. Sitting in their apartment. I'm sitting down with my legs crossed underneath the coffee table. I had a, I had a cigarette, uh, one of the cigar box with weed in it. We had a pint of Presidente and a six pack of Budweiser. And we were watching Casablanca, you know, black and white TV. I don't even know if we had a VCR in those days. That, those were the days. It was getting close to the point where they had a Betamax and a VCR. Now, for you guys who don't know, you young kids, whatever, um, you guys may be familiar, well, you're, you're probably more familiar with movies online now that you download, and you might still have some beast, uh, what do you call it? That gum. Discs. Um, DVDs. You know, I got plenty of DVDs. But anyway, in the old days, we had uh, what is called a VCR 
and there was a bit there was a war between Betamax and the VCR and which one was going to win and get the business. I knew a guy, one of my dealers, he had a Betamax. And I went over his house, he had a Superman movie. And I was like, wow, check that out. That's great. You know? But then, for whatever reason, VCR won, and eventually I got a VCR. And I think the first VCR, I don't know, it was hundreds of dollars. It was, it, those, those things were expensive. But anyway, they're obsolete now. They're obsolete, just like the A track. And he said, Mommy, what's an A track? Go look online, you can find out what an A track was. Actually, I even had a four track at one time, showing how old I am. I'm 70. I've been around for a while. Okay. Anyway, so I'm sitting there watching Casablanca. We're watching it. We're all kicking back, getting high. And it was like the Spirit of the Lord internally asked me, okay, do you want me to take it all away from you? Do you still want that? And I didn't, and it wasn't an audible voice. It was like an internal thing. And I internally said, yes, absolutely. Now, I didn't just get sober right then. I was just as loaded as I was before I heard that. But when I woke up in the morning, it was gone. I didn't have, oh, I also had a pack of cools. I was smoking it. The taste for the alcohol, the taste for the weed, the taste for the tobacco, it was all gone. I, I didn't have any desire for any of it. Now, of course, Everybody thought I was tripping. They said, oh, he's tripping hard, you know. But I told him, no, I told him, I said, it's gone, I'm done, it's over. It's okay. So the next couple of days, everybody, after a while, people started saying, well, wait a minute, something's going on with him. Hey, Sam, you wanna hit? No, I'm done, I told you it was over. And eventually, People believed me. Unfortunately, my, my relationship, it went sour because I was done and maybe I should have been a lot more tolerant, but I didn't even want that stuff in my house anymore, or my apartment. And unfortunately, that relationship went bad and progressed to the point where she even got hooked up into the crack thing. And praise the Lord, he kept me away from that or got me out of that before I could even get involved in that mess. And unfortunately, our marriage and then a divorce and then her life ended a few years later, unexpectedly. She was killed in the drive-by. But now that I was out, I started thinking, okay, I want to try to get closer to God. And I started studying the Bible. And I realized that I'm going to take my kids to church. I need to know what the Bible said. And I also realized that I didn't want to be deceived by false teachers. I said, the only way I know that I can avoid being deceived is if I really know what the Bible says. And, and I also make this commitment. I said, look, if the Bible is truly the word of God, it will stand up to anything. And if it's not, if it won't stand up to anything, then I don't want it. That was a challenge I put to God. And I knew that the only way that I can make that challenge, shall we say, uh, plausible in my life, is for me to take a serious dive in a constant 
visual into his word because it was up to me to to search it and I did now like I said it was a process the process took time and um, I remember distinctly getting ready to go to work one morning oh actually I think I worked in the afternoon I think there was like an afternoon shift because uh, it wasn't an early morning at work I was in the same location and it was 1986, and I saw the Challenger explosion, you know, before I went to work. And then later on, I saw President Reagan's speech about the Challenger explosion. And I was like, I said to myself, wow, I mean, you know, this guy, he don't sound like He's evil, like they're saying. How can anybody say the stuff that he's saying? He just doesn't sound like he's the big monster that they say he is. But he was a Republican. So I decided at that point, I need to find out what's going on. Politically. And then I also found out other stuff. The closer I got into the word, the closer I got to trying to live for the Lord, the more I found myself on the Democrat Party opposed to the things that I'm learning in the Bible. I mean, in those days, the Democrat parties were for abortion. I mean, they already had Roe v. Wade in 1973. So, so they're standing, and I'm finding, well, this is a child. I know this is a child. And the Democratic Party was for the legalization of some drugs. I'm saying, well, I know what this stuff does to your mind. I, I lived it. I experienced it. And so I was finding myself at odds. I'm saying, why is it that the party that I'm supposed to be aligned with, I'm black, seems to be adverse to the things of God? So I started digging into history. As I was growing up, like I said before, I assumed what I was. And I assumed that the stuff that I was taught or not taught or embedded psychologically through different waves was real. I assumed that Republicans hated black people. And therefore, I assumed that Republicans were the party of slavery and the party of segregation and all that stuff. So I started going to the library. We didn't have the internet then. I started digging. I started reading. I started searching. And come to find out that the Republicans were the party that freed the slaves. I come to find out that it was the Democrat Party that was a party of slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, all that stuff. And I'm saying, wow. I started finding out that the Republican Party platform was for life. But the Democrats' party platform kept going for death, for abortion. And I'm saying, wow, look at this. And I said, then, and then I found out people would say stuff like, oh, well, they switched sides in 1968 when Nixon was president. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, they switched sides. At least this is what I've been told. But 
it doesn't take a brain scientist to start looking at the historical evidence to find out that's not true. And it doesn't make any sense. Why would the winners decide to be losers? I mean, because some people change sides. Why would they do that? And why would all those folks on the Democrat side that lost all their people in the Civil War all of a sudden decide to abandon them and, and, and change sides? Which brings me to an unrelated point that I like to let people know. I was always against the removal of statues, which this, this phenomenon we had in the last few years. Let's get rid of this statue. Let's get rid of that statue. Let's get rid of all this stuff. Why? You know, the reason why I'm against it is because when you remove the evidence, it's easier for people to lie. If you left all those statues of Robert E. Lee and and Stonewall Jackson or, or, or uh, I don't know if they got any statues of, of Lester Maddox or any of these people, you know, if you remove the evidence, it's easier for people to tell you it never happened. But if the evidence is there, you can always point to it. You know, and I've seen too many lies perpetrated on people. I see, I see people, I mean, Joe Biden went right around here talking about, well, you don't know the difference between me and Trump, you ain't black. But Joe Biden has a history of racism that's longer than my arm. You don't want his kids growing up in a, in a, in a racial jungle. I mean, he said Obama was the first clean, articulate black man. Like all black people are smelling dirty. I mean, this, this Recently, what did he say? You know, uh, black people, you know, they can't use the internet. <laughs> so the racial aspects of the Democratic Party hasn't changed. They just lie. As they can keep feeding lies into people, people keep buying it. But, but what shocked me after I got that educational epiphany is I wanted to share it with I want to share with a lot of black people. And when I would start approaching black people, they would, number one, say, I don't know what I'm talking about. Number two, they didn't want to hear it. Or number three, someone, they start calling me a, a, a sellout or Uncle Tom. And I found it amazing that people would rather die uh, deceived than lived knowing the truth. I had, a, I had a friend. I had a friend that uh, when Obama became president, cried. And uh, we used to get in all kinds of uh, discussions. But he didn't want to hear any evidence. You know, I had this guy, um, this, this other black guy, I remember a long time ago, he was telling me, I didn't know this, that, and the other. I said, I can prove to you that the Democratic Party is a party of Jim Crow racism and segregation and all that stuff. He said, don't waste your time. Now, there's one thing that if you're wrong, and it's another thing that if you're right, I would rather know the truth than I believe a lie. I don't, I don't want to go to my grave happily believing error if truth is available to me, because I have a responsibility to pass truth on to the next generation.
So, what I did was, I knew I had to line up uh, with God as much as possible. And I formulated the ideology that I espoused all the time. Either your theology is going to govern your politics or your politics is going to govern your theology. And I decided that my theology is going to govern my politics. And when I decided that I'm going to try to live a life as godly as possible, I'm going to deal with whatever political party that is closest to God. And if they're both away from him, I'm done with them too. But I'm not going to align myself with a political party that is antithetical to God. And right now, the Democratic Party is more antithetical to God than ever. I mean, it's not just abortion on demand that they cry and scream about. They're talking about child mutilation. They're talking about having people that identify as, as, as different sex. They're, they're talking about having people who believe in godly principles, like me, identifying an obvious man and calling this person a woman. So they're talking about promulgating a lie and trying to make us participate in it. I'm not doing any of that. These people legalized and, and working, I think they got all the drugs legalized. I mean, there are so many issues that that political party is, is, is worse now than what they were when I had my change 36 years ago. Or when the change finally kicked in, like I said, I was in gas lines in 79, but that change didn't really kick in until I looked at the Reagan Challenger thing. And that's when I really decided to really, really look hard at the evidence. The evidence is there. The evidence is much easier for anyone right now willing to look at it. They don't have to go through what I went through. And even to this day, I have people who call me sellout, Uncle Tom. And the sad part about the Uncle Tom references, these people don't even have the clue who Uncle Tom is. I'm sure they never read the book. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote the book that helped launch the Civil War. Uncle Tom was a slave who learned how to read and was a Christian. And he sacrificed himself for other people to be free. But Uncle Tom, it was obvious to me after reading Uncle Tom's Cabin that the devil had to help demonize him and make a monster out of him because he was too strong. He was a godly man. He was a strong black man. Yes, he was a slave. He, he, he dealt with or, 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 or accepted the crap he had to deal with as far as his master. But he refused to give up those folks that he helped set free. So now they've made the word or the words Uncle Tom synonymous with a black person that is shiftless, low-life, that uh, boot-licking um, white man flunky. When the opposite is true. And when the average core Democrat black person is actually supporting their own demise, they're supporting a party that constantly keeps them under subject, under their thumb. I mean, why would 
This immigrant probably had millions of illegals coming to the United States. Yeah, I remember when Barack Obama was president, like I said, my friend had cried because he said that he didn't think he would see anybody that looked like him before he died being in the White House. What did, Barack, what did Barack Obama do for black people? Now, if you were a black homosexual, oh, he, he, he did wonders. He helped destroy marriage in America. If you were a black person that wanted to kill your baby, he was all for that. But for the black masses, what did he do that was good? Nothing. Zero. But image supersedes reality in the minds of many people. And they were just happy to see someone that was a Democrat that looked like them in power. And now Barack Obama's got his $15 million beachfront property in Martha's Vineyard, home in Hawaii, building a massive um, library in Chicago. And how are black folks doing in America? We have the greatest economy in my lifetime when Trump was president. And black folks were making a lot of money. They weren't making that money when Obama was president, and they certainly aren't making it now. So, my thing is, I want to serve the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to live for Him as well as I can. And I want to do my patriotic duty as a member of society. I, you know, unlike my Jehovah Witness friends who do not believe in voting, uh, I believe in voting. And I think that we all should vote. But I think our vote should count, particularly if we can make a fair election of it. I may do a video on that some other time, but I want to stay within my repentance and red pill. Um, but my vote will always go as close to a biblically minded uh, policy or person as possible. You know, I'm of a mindset that even if I had two candidates and one candidate had biblical policies that he's going to stand for and the other one had non-biblical policies that he's going to stand for, but the one with non-biblical policies, if, if you can figure this one out, had financial policies that would give me more money, I'm going to stand with the one with the biblical policies. Because I'm going to trust God for the difference. Unlike this pastor I alluded to many times in California that said, yes, I understand that the Democrat Party is a party of abortion, same-sex marriage, homosexuality, transgenderism, and all that stuff that is antithetical to God. Yes, I know that's wrong, and I'm against all those things, but I got to do what's best for my people. And in his mind, what's best for his people is a vote Democrat. Here is a pastor that cannot see that he's got more trust in the Democrat Party than the guy he claims to serve. I believe we should serve God and let the chips fall where they may and wait on God to make up the difference. If we honor God, then he will honor and take care of us. You know, 
How are you going to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength? He has to be first. And if he isn't first, then he's nothing. He's not, he's not accepting second place. Not at all. So, I think mm, I covered everything. Well, I think I covered enough. But, you know, I'm not, like some people think that I'm just super Trump-loving person. It's not about Trump. It's never been about Trump. It's been about who and what party is lining closer to biblical principles. I don't worship any man. Trump goes sideways biblically. I can't deal with him either. I have to worship the Lord God. And only his word is what I base everything on. You know, as long as stuff stays within those parameters, or if I have an option between those parameters, his word and the world's word, I want to go with God's word. So my red pill didn't come a couple of years ago like many people around. Mine was about, I thought it was 35, but it was about 36 years ago. And frankly, I guess that, that, that the making of the pill uh, was about seven years. It took seven years, about seven years to make that sucker. It took about that long for it to gel in my head and for me to finally get it. So I got to give some of these Democrats a break. But I'm going to still keep talking to you guys. I still love you guys. I'm talking particularly people I grew up with. I'm going to still keep talking to you. I'm going to still keep encouraging you to investigate and look at the evidence for yourself. Try to be unbiased. Try to get your prejudices and pride out the way. And frankly, those of you that are Christians, it shouldn't be hard at all. Find out what lines up closer to the Bible and go with that. Whatever it is. And if it doesn't, reject it. And if there's stuff that's against God's word, whatever it is, get away from it and get away from them. It's not hard. They're very simple. Well, this is it. So God bless you and God keep you. This is Sam Talley. And I'm out to the next time.